Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 225 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And I gotta tell you, Vic, UFC 284, it was not a whole heck of a lot on paper, but man, it delivered in practice. Would you agree? 100%. And I will, I mean, I'm sorry to be that guy. But I got to be that guy. There are caveats. Okay. I mean, some of these matches, some of these matchups, uh, somewhat favorable to some of the local guys. You know, some of them were, some of them were results that were to be expected in terms of the win loss column. However, however, I don't want to take away from any of the people that performed to the utmost level that they did because, I mean, it's one thing for you to be expected to win. It's another thing for you to just break through expectations regardless and just, you know, have a, a, and some of these cats had sterling moments and we're going to break down the rest of the card later on. But uh, yes, this was a hell of a lot of fun. Excellent way to sort of rinse out a lot of the uh, sour, the the bitterness that uh, we've been seeing from recent weeks of the beginning of the year, just delivering one bad piece of news after another. This helped be uh, something of a, this helped in being something of a palate cleanse that I feel was sorely needed. Indeed. A uh, few things I want to note about the card before we start the breakdown. The commentary booth was good. I like John Anik. I love Michael Bisping. I've been hit or miss with Dom Cruz because his commentary, it, it, it has peaks and valleys. This was a definite peak, in my opinion, for Dominic Cruz. He had some of the most sterling commentary in that booth Saturday night. I mean, he was just breaking things down beautifully. He was seeing things that Bisping was clearly not seeing. There was a moment in there where he kept trying to explain something to Bisping, and Bisping turned around and said, I get it, Dom. Okay, I get it. And he was clearly upset. And okay. but the thing is, is he was uh, just a couple of moments before arguing with with Dom, and Dom was correct. I mean, it, it it ended up unfolding exactly the way he said, blah blah blah. But the point is, is that Dom had a really good night, and that commentary booth was was really good. I I, I liked it. I thought it was solid. I thought there was fun moments. Everybody had their charming moments. Dom had some weird moments where he was talking about rolling up a taco into a burrito or something along those lines when they were talking about your Rodriguez. That was, you know, sometimes he has these awkward moments where he tries to be funny, but the actual technical breakdowns was on the money, in my opinion. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. A taco and a burrito. <laughs> when it comes to structural integrity and materials used in the construction thereof, okay, very different things. He's Mexican and he should know better. This is where I start to have problems with him. We start talking about, you know, he's he's brilliant when it comes to talking about matters of transitioning and wrestling and scrambles and all that. I think that's where he shines. That's where he does his best work. But a lot of the other stuff that he's done is pretty atrocious. And when it comes to tacos and getting that part wrong, 
that's where I draw the line, especially from someone who grew up around it. He should absolutely know. There's no excuse. And I really think that's that is that is beyond haram in my book. <laughs> but but as far as uh, actual technical breakdown commentary, w- would you agree with that part? I mean, you know what? I keep seeing people complain about him week after week after week every time that he's on. So if this is what he needed to do better, then fuck it. Keep him in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Just let him move down there. Like we're, We'll keep you like John Gooden. You know, we'll only have you for, for these events in this region. There you go. We're going to Lebanon, John Gooden. We're going to, you know, I don't know, Papua New Guinea. Here we go. We, we got we got Dom Cruz. That's it. I mean, enjoy being down under. That would be a great reality series. Just seeing him completely confused by the way people live. In Australia, it'd be amazing. It'd be fucking. I'd love to see that because, I mean, seriously, they they don't live that differently from us. But I'm sure that somehow, in some way, he would find a matter, some capacity to be confused. <laughs> the the toilet spinning backwards would really get him. <laughs> it probably would. It probably would. He'd probably believe that, like you know, koalas are actually murderous and will, in fact, uh, assault you or whatever. That's great. So let's go ahead and talk about this first fight. We're going to start at the top. Islam Makachev defeating Alexander Volkanovsky. Listen, this was a close fight. Alexander Volkanovsky overperformed. There is no two ways about it. However, I feel that the decision was right. I do not agree with the 49-46 card. I had the fight personally score 48-47. I understand the numbers say otherwise, that Volkanovsky had the more significant strikes. But if we're talking about strikes that staggered someone, that wobbled someone, it was Islam landing those. And that is why I feel like he did the better in the striking, because his blows were more impactful. Now, where Volkanovsky truly shined is he didn't... Not only did he not get subbed, there towards the end, he was negating all of that wrestling, with the exception of round four, where it was clear that Makachev was taking a breather and just had kept them locked up for about three and a half minutes of the round. Volkanovsky was able to get up, to scramble, to get away, to even reverse. I believe he had a reverse in there at one point. I think I want to see this yesterday i want to see the rematch yesterday it was so goddamn good it was definitely fight of the night i think this was a tremendous fight it was so important too because if you're really looking at pound for pound is makachev really the pound for pound did he go in there and just mow him down no he did not as a matter of fact this thing is more up in the air than it ever was before we even got the first fight because so many people are split down the middle on who won. Victor, who do you think won? That's a good question here. I I can't shake the feeling. And again, I'm just going off vibes. I haven't rewatched the fight. I felt that Alex won the fight. A lot of people um, did. I, I absolutely 100% give Islam the very first round. That is uncontestable in my view. When it comes to the rest of the fight, it gets a little hazy, you know, definitely. I think it was the, uh, well, absolutely given the last round. I mean, that holy shit. I mean, Alex ended up get, putting him, uh, getting in Islam's guard and working from there. Um, it's dicey. It's such a tough one to call, man. It's a very tough fight to judge and score, especially when you're doing as I was in the moment. And a lot of the time, you know, your mind as a viewer, right. As someone who's not involved in the decision making process, 
you kind of have a tendency to let your mind, I don't want to say wander, because that's not really the term, but you kind of, you're, you're not looking as analytically in terms of scoring in the same way that someone who's there as a judge is. And I know it probably doesn't sound um, like the most intuitive thing. It probably doesn't make too much sense. But if you know, you know. You know, sometimes you're just watching and kind of the emotion of the thing starts to take over and you're like, shit, am I seeing this as objectively as I should? Am I really, uh, am I really evaluating this? in a manner that would be proper if I were the professional who was in charge of making these choices. And I don't know that that really would be for the best in my situation, but I had Alex winning that fight. Um, you know already how I feel as far as pound for pound is concerned. I don't really give a shit about that. I, it's That's just me. I understand a lot of people have very strong feelings and reservations about that, and that's fine too. But, you know, go go argue that with uh, with your friends and family and and loved ones, I, I do not have any qualms about it. Just keep it off of my timeline. I do not give a fuck. That's just, I'm, I'm not uh, in the business of arguing um, imaginary numbers and stats. However, good God, I mean, I suppose you have to make a rematch here. I, I, I just, I, what happens to featherweight? Uh, there would be a bit of limbo. I mean, you have a new interim champion. Do you promote Yair to full? Do you wait and have him uh, defend an interim title, which... I mean, it's not unheard of, but I mean, it wouldn't be the most orthodox thing to do in this situation. He is the rightful number one contender to the main belt at this point. What do you do? Um, I'm not really certain. I just I know that I'd love to see these two go off again. And Volkanovsky, you know, he we had I had very high expectations of him. He shattered those expectations regardless and uh, proved himself yet again as someone that you should never count out. Here's the problem that I always have when they make champ versus champ fights. This situation right here. Because Yair Rodriguez is the rightful challenger. But here we had an incredible fight that everybody split down the middle. Nobody knows for sure who won, who didn't. I think Islam won. You think Alex won. This is the state of things. So now we're in a situation where do we run this out? super close fight back and make a zillion million dollars because if ever there were a fight a rematch to be made based on merit only that didn't need a bunch of conor mcgregor style promotion a fight that would promote itself it is this one it is this one right here because the first fight was so good this takes me to Zhang Wiley and Joanna Janjacek their second fight if ever a fight were built on merit alone based on their first fight that was it this is the same situation so here we are with Yer the rightful challenger but you've got Alex and Islam up here just coming off the fight of the year probably or a, a, a de definite candidate for fight of the year so do we make the rematch or do we go ahead and give year something that's the dilemma and you know the direction that the ufc is probably going to go they're probably going to go makachev volkanovsky volkanovsky immediately he's ready to go now he was barely touched up i mean yeah. this is this is the dilemma and this is why i hate Champ versus champ, even in a situation like this where it's the best versus the best in the entire the, the promotion. These two guys are top dogs in the top divisions. But That's you know what? I got to say, though, mm -hmm. jokes on you. 
because this fight already, the first fight already sold itself. We talked about this the other day, right? Did it? <laughs> a promotion but, but did it? Imagine now with some actual muscle and competence being displayed by the people who stand to gain the most from it. That would be nice. Well, you say this fight sold itself. It sold itself to us, to hardcores. Did it sell itself uh, promotionally, market-wise? That's what, I, I'm, yeah. what I'm referring to is that. So if ever yeah. a fight were to be made, that base, uh, a rematch based on merit alone, that would probably sell. That's what I'm getting at. It would be this one, just like... Uh, Joanna and Zhang Wiley, if ever a fight were built on merit to sell, that would be it. Because, you know, you'd look at that first fight and you'd think, oh my God, this one ha would deliver twice as much. It has to. Look at the first one. That's how, that's the mindset people get into. So here we have a tremendous rematch waiting or another, uh, another belt challenge waiting. What do we do? Yeah. And yeah, and I, I do dilemma. kind of feel bad for Yair though, because you know he'd be he'd be the odd man out, and just mm -hmm. I mean, again, what what do you do with this guy? I mean, yeah. that's that's his that's his biggest opportunity right there. He wins what is essentially up until now the fight of his life, and what he's got to risk that position that he's in to fight for the full title because because of this. I, I just I don't I don't know, man. But I'm sure that he'd probably. If this were boxing and he would be getting, if he had the capacity to get some kind of step aside money, I feel a little less bad about it. Right, but, but this isn't boxing, you know, and we don't have mandatories. That's exactly. the thing. This is why we need the Ali Act in, in MMA because of that right there. And these undisputed titles are only undisputed inside the UFC. So until we get something like an Ali Act or the actual Ali Act, we're going to end up with shit like this. So, and here's the thing, Zane, put, Zane Simon, our colleague, put out an excellent tweet today. He said, if I am Alex Volkanovsky, I am not taking the Yair Rodriguez fight. I'm holding out for the Makachev rematch because that's guaranteed money. That's a big yes. fight. And now that everybody's seen the first fight, they're going to be gangbusters for the rematch. And that's where Yer, like you said, is going to be the odd man out. And we're going to see a scenario where Yer has to defend an interim belt. And that is just sad. That's sad. And if we had uh, an Ali Act where we had actual undisputed titles, we wouldn't have this problem right here. Because lightweight from UFC would be fighting lightweight from Bellator or lightweight from PFL or whatever. But we don't have that. We have just the UFC and those confines only. And we end up situ with situations like this where Yair is going to be ass out probably. That's true. And you know what the thing is? If we had uh, a greater level of uniformity across the board, you know, you wouldn't have guys in the UFC running from the real threat, Artem Lobov. There's just nowhere to hide. That motherfucker coming for you. Russian boogeyman back, baby. All right. So let's get into that. Yeah, Rodriguez defeating Josh Emmett scenario there. Listen, that was Yair's breakout moment because Josh Emmett is known to be a tough son of a gun. I mean, it's almost impossible to get him out of there. And the way Yair did it, he made it look easy. And the adjustment from the first round, because he was definitely in trouble in that first round, the adjustment, mm -hmm. the composure, he stayed calm. He he took a good mental picture in between those rounds because the 
the adjustments were clear from the moment he threw his first punch. It was abundantly clear that he was definitely a man on the move and a, he was a heat-seeking missile. That's that's how I describe it. He was laser-focused, tuned in. He knew everything Josh Emmett was doing before he was doing it, it seemed like, in that second round. He took the first round and was like, okay, you gave me what you gave me. Let me show you what I have. And we got to see that. And it was, to me, his best performance ever against a guy that just does not fall like that, does not get choked out like that. It, it was superb. That was some brilliant game planning, coaching, and adaptation mm -hmm. in that fight. Because going after Josh Emmett to the body, I don't mm -hmm. remember anyone doing that. Yep. Ever. Not 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 in that form. Not in that manner. Uh, knowing when he had him crippled, going back to that well at the right moment, working the feints early, working the head kicks. I mean, Josh was kind of tuning him up a little bit in that first round. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh boy, this is, uh, this is looking kind of the way... He got him down too. Um, that yeah. that that part right there. As soon as I saw him get him down, I was like, "Ooh, this might not be a good fight for Rodriguez." I think that Victor might be right. That first round had me really worried. You were going to smoke us again. <laughs> oh, come on! You can't have hope when it comes to that. And me, forget it. Uh, I, I'm only remember. I'm mostly right when things are like the worst possible outcome. So you you, you could be fine on that. You could arrest Edie. That's okay. Um, <laughs> But Emmett, man, you know, Emmett did Josh Emmett thing. And then, yeah, he came out and he super styled on him in a couple of those exchanges and just did better and better. And I didn't really see that transition coming. But then again, neither did Josh Emmett. But that transition on the ground mm. where he started working the triangle, I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think he's going to get it. And then, holy shit, he shifts over to the side and I see the hip position. I'm like, Oh, he got that motherfucker now. Watch that bite coming. And that was exactly that. You see the squeeze, you see the knee dip in, and you see the the um the clamping and 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 the bending of the feet. Done. That was it. It was just picture perfect technique. You cannot ask for anything better than that. Lovely performance, highlight uh, of his career. He's got a big, shiny, beautiful belt around his waist and a big cowboy hat on his head. Lovely. Looking smelling like a million bucks. Good for him. Absolutely, and a perfect way to wrap that fight up and get into Jack Della Maddalena. The, this is Victor's spirit animal. He has been talking about this guy for the last two, three years. Like before he got into the UFC, Victor was following this guy. So I imagine seeing him dispatch Randy Brown in two minutes and 13 seconds flat made your whole entire week. You know what? I, it, kind of. It was one of those things where you can't really gloat, you know, because you're like, yeah, I, I kind of figured that was going to happen. You know, I didn't think it was going to go quite like this. I figured it would be a more prolonged uh, sequence to get to the finish. But once he rocked Randy, made him do that, that sort of, he looked like he was going to do the rerun dance as he fell forward. And then his temple hit the, the canvas. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> just, this is going to end uglier than I thought it would. And yep, that's exactly what happened. And I mean, I feel bad for Randy, man, but them's the breaks, man. This it's the fight game. And, and we know that this is, he knew what it was. They knew what it was. Um, I, Jesus Christ. I mean, look at Jack Della, man, this, this dude, he's an amazing threat. Everybody losing their minds over comes at Shemaev and all this other shit. But this guy, I mean, this is, this is much more that silent threat 
building over time and he's just getting better and he's just getting better and he's coming for that throne man he's coming for that crown and he's just you cannot break this man i've got to see what the rest of the people in the division are going to do with this man because he has already proven himself to be a problem yep and i'm gonna tell you who he mentioned that he wants and i think you're gonna love this yes yes i yes vicente luque yes 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 i like that too I will take two servings of that, please. I love I love me? the striker versus striker matchup because we haven't really seen that um, with him with somebody that might be able to hold their own with him. We knew pretty much that when they matched Randy Brown with them that Jack was going to use that low center of gravity, get right in underneath those punches. The only thing he would really have to worry about was circling away from that, that long kick that uh, Randy Brown throws out. But he clearly game plan because he circled away. He got right in there and he worked him. Yeah, and, you know, Randy, to his credit, Randy was working his range very effectively mm-hmm. at first. Yes. And he was doing really, really well with that. He was having some success. And as soon as Jack got the timing in and he realized, okay, this is where we can start to um, get past the initial offense as he's resetting. That was it. Yeah. That was all he needed. And it's just, it was simple. It was brilliant. It was the end of it. That was just perfect, perfect, perfect shit. I love it. That made four first round finishes in a row. All of his fights inside the UFC have been first rounds. This so. guy, this guy should not have been on Contender Series. You know, <laughs> I, I say it every time. I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm, I've got the broken record thing. I know you people are tired of, compl- of me complaining about it, whether it's saying it here on the podcast or whether it's when I write the fucking previews, I see it every single time. There are always, always, always these cats that, like, you could have signed these people outright, but no. You choose to do this shit and, and, and lowball them and not present them as the potential stars that they could be, and look, it's crazy. I mean, it's good for the UFC, though. It's good for their bottom line, but yeah. come on. Man. Yep. Okay, next up, Justin Taffa with the walk-off KO of Parker Porter. Who that was... That was really nice. But again, look who he knocked out. It was Parker Porter. So we, yeah, we must yeah. keep that in, in our minds. But it was beautiful for, for the Australian folks over there. That that crowd. Let's just address that crowd. That crowd was amazing. Holy crap. That yeah. energy. That, you could tell that there hasn't been an event in Australia for a little bit. Because they were hungry. And they were I love the the crowd participation. They were all in unison. Nobody was off off key. Volkanovski. Volkanovski. I mean, just every moment was huge to them. And if ever there were were a crowd to illustrate how much we miss that energy from over the past three years, that crowd was it. And the the, the pop the pop for Justin Taffa when that. That first, it was it was two things. The knockout happened, and the crowd went absolutely silent. And then he st- takes one step back, and then one step to the side. You know, when it, when he just like it, it was his little walk off. Then the whole arena erupts. It was amazing. I love moments like that, and that moment was insane. Yeah, I, I want to address the first thing you mentioned here. Parker Porter, man, I, I, I don't I don't want to shit on the dude. I just some cats, you know, some people are you have your bad stylistic matchups and then you just have dudes that 
I, I get why he's in the UFC. I'm not saying that he's bad, but there's just a certain caliber of fighter that doesn't thrive very well in that environment. And I don't think that he's the kind of dude that would have a certain level of success. You know, I think there's certain things that he probably has to work on that maybe his environment doesn't allow for. And I think he could be better. But unfortunately, he's just not doing great. And those are the breaks. I mean, I, I you, you feel terrible because these are guys that are learning these lessons and paying for it in blood and in the form of concussions and broken bones. Um, but as far as Toph is concerned, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And what did I say last week when we were talking about this? I mentioned specifically, it seems to me that this is on the main card to have a, a favorable matchup for one of the hometown guys. And yeah. there you go. You had that. You could have made that argument also for the uh, Randy Brown and Jack Della fight. But uh, this was much, much more clear yeah. in terms of intent, it seemed to me, at least. And 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 I mean, showcase bouts, I don't hate them. Sometimes they are ha- they happen. And Tafa wasn't is he's not a guy who's got like a stellar uh, record. He's had his stumbles, too. Right. These things happen. But um, just good God, again, here's another fight where, yes, you should have expected Tafa to win. Yes, you should have expected for him to, to have done so with a lot of, of, of uh, with a very emphatic and violent end. But at the same time, holy shit. I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's going to outlive him. You know what I mean? That's a highlight reel for your ass right there. That was beautiful. So, uh you know, feel bad for Parker, but holy shit, Justin Taffa, man. Welcome home. Welcome back. Whatever. Indeed. Um, addressing Parker Porter, he's 13 and 8 now. I, I have a different view of him than you do. I don't think he gets better. I think he has a very clear ceiling, and I think that Eugene has a saying, other sports beckon. I don't think other sports beckon for him, but I do think other promotions do. He's a guy that clearly needs time on the regionals, and he's not super old, so there is time for him to learn. But I think his ceiling is very clear, and I think that the UFC is above his ceiling. So I would like to see Parker Porter give up that spot to somebody else, some young puppy that might actually uh, do something more with it than Parker Porter did. Because 13 and 8, I'm sorry, yeah. that's beyond journeyman. Um, time to go. Now, and, and the, that's weird. To, it's weird to say, too, because we've seen some really bad heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Now, so it's that. Yeah. All right. In the interest of time, we're going to blow through uh, some of these picks and some we're just going to skip because, you know, they're they're skippable. But this next fight deserves to be spoken on for for a moment or two here. Jimmy Crute versus Alonzo Minifield. A couple things to note. One, Jimmy Crute. My God, there were moments in there where I wanted them to stop the fight. Truly. Mm. I get that he's a dog and he's gritty and he's got heart and guts and this and that. And there's no quit in him. Blah, bitty, blah. That's the kind of fight that takes years off your life. Um, seeing him like that. I don't know. I just didn't like it. It was, a, it was a terrible look. And to know that Jimmy Crute is probably one of those lower paid guys, despite, mm. you, you know, it, despite the fact that he's a tough son of a gun He's probably not making the kind of money that you want him to make. And I made a tweet and I stick to this. Jimmy Crude is the kind of guy that makes you wish the UFC paid their fighters more. And he is. Now, let's look at Alonzo Menafield because Alonzo Menafield had this goddamn fight won because he had Jimmy Crude just out. Out. And he very stupidly 
let Jimmy Crute recover enough to get his grappling going because Alonzo Minifield doesn't know how to manage his own goddamn cardio. So this came down to a cardio battle that Jimmy Crute took one hell of an ass whipping and just basically managed to outsurvive Alonzo Minifield enough on the cards to barely scrape a majority draw together. Hmm. I don't want to see this rematch. I saw a lot of people out there. I need to see the rematch. I don't think I want to see this because I watched it a second time to see if maybe I was overthinking things. I was not. I don't want to see this again. Jimmy Crute needs to fight guys that are not the Alonzo Minifields that can just take him out in that first round and make him where that he literally has to crawl to get over there and engage some form of grappling. And if Alonzo Minifield hadn't been such a shitty grappler, anybody else would have had Jimmy Crude out of there. Victor? I don't... I don't... I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a loss here because I don't disagree. And I see where the excitement was. But this was also kind of tough to watch. You know, it was just... Um, what what do you do about this? What do you do with either with 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 this guy? And you we we've seen Jimmy Crew be an action fighter. He's absolutely a dog, sure, all that. But I don't know, man. This was this was this needed some work. Like it was kind of sloppy. All things considered, as exciting as it was, it was like yeah. But do we does this need to happen like this? I don't know. There, there was something that made it as exciting as some of the exchanges were. There were some parts of it that were really uncomfortable, and I'm not really sure that I can put my finger on anything other than what you've already mentioned, you know? Yeah. So then we're going to, you know, Modestus Bukowskis got his revenge because I believe he was on record saying that uh, he felt like the UFC only brought him back to lose against Tyson Pedro and then he gets the win. So that was kind of a feel good thing for him, I guess. Joshua Koulibau, we picked this fight. We all picked Melsic Bagdasarian, you know, Victor, I think you summed it up best. You said, this is really a tight fight. It could go either way. I'm going to lean Melsic because he seems to have a little bit more in his skill set. I I feel like you pinpointed exactly why all three of us picked Melsic. And that fight was a gangbusters fight for the, the two rounds that it happened. But Koulibau, wow. Koulibau's a tough son of a gun. And... He went, man, that rear naked, that set up just smooth and quick and lethal. Another another bout where the hometown guy, I mean, he, he had to tough it out. You know, the nut shot was, was the big story oh, yes. there. Oh, yes. <laughs> more than anything else. But uh, some people were claiming that it looked intentional, which I'm not sure about that. That seems like a bit of a stretch. I think that was but, a stretch. It's a fight. Yeah. And I think that uh, everything's happening so fast that, you know, centimeters off and you've, you know, struck gold by accident. Exactly. Yeah. And and he hit those two. He hit those nuggets real heavy. Um, <laughs> the sound. I, <laughs> but it was a thrilling finish again. And yes. this was this was a, the difference between this and like maybe, you know, the Tafa fight, for example. This was a hard fought finish. This was a hard fought win where like you knew that these two guys were fairly evenly matched and they're yes. both looking like guys that could make it way further up the ladder with very little time and, and a little bit more seasoning, and yet this happened. So it was thrilling in a different way. 
you know, this was um, the kind of event that I like to describe as like Felix the Cat's bag of, of, of gimmicks. You know, there's there's a little bit of everything there. Yeah. You know, you like submissions, you like knockouts, you like weird shit happening. This had everything. And this is yet another example of that, of that skill and um, and, and that talent of being displayed, that grit, that determination, fighting through what he did. And, and then another brilliant prospect shining. And you, you love to see that. Yeah. All right. We had Kletzen Rodriguez starching Shannon Ross in 59 seconds. Excellent. Jamie Malarkey taking a unanimous decision over Francisco Prado. We expected that. Good fight. Jack Jenkins getting the unanimous decision over Don Shanus. Great. Good for you. That was another one we expected. Loma Lukbunmi. This is a fight that we picked. Good on her for surviving that first round because Elise Reed was working her over. Mm -hmm. And Loma bit down on her mouthpiece. Made some adjustments, came back in that second round, got the damn thing done, sunk in that rear naked choke, lethal, just put Elise Reed out of there. And I am so happy to see that. I love Loma, and I just want to continue to see her thrive. Yeah, I feel bad for Elise because that was not, that was stylistically not a good fight for her. And uh, I even had a friend hit me up in the DMs and he's like, yo, Loma got holds like that? I'm like... Loma's the most complete Thai fighter the UFC has seen because there aren't too many Thai fighters in the UFC to begin right, with. Clearly, right. a bit of a you know statement in and of itself. But uh, Loma's got holds, man. She's got a very complete game, and I mean it's not pristine in every element, but it's it. She's she is absolutely a high level competitor and somebody that you need to just if you're sitting there thinking that oh well she's a Thai fighter she's got more Thai experience. She's probably going to be a slouch on the ground. Joke's on you, because she got big surprises up that sleeve. And boy, howdy, that was uh, that was that was vicious. The the way that she went around that neck, and the way she was able to secure that in 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 that split second, at least to her credit, tried to fight it off as best she could, couldn't do it. And there's no shame in that because it's just the kind of fighter that she was up against. And uh, I I really want to see uh, Reed go back to the drawing board and 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 kind of. I mean, she's demonstrated some growth in her brief time in the UFC. She's she's done um, she's done okay. She hasn't perhaps had the most thrilling performances. She's not out there putting on uh, slobber knockers, but hey, she's she's pretty good, man. She's she's got uh, she's got some pretty good qualities and um, and and then okay fight IQ. And so you know you can only get better from there. She's not old to the point where she's not you know I mean what what is old in MMA really? That's all relative, but. Hey, uh, the, the, right now we celebrate Loma and how she did it, and holy shit, that was cool. Yep. Blake Builder took the unanimous decision over Shane Young. That was a bit of an upset. Elvis Brenner taking a split decision, upset again over Zubera Tukugov. I do not agree with that split. Listen, I am no fan of Zubera. I hate that he misses weight. I hate his grindy, gritty, boring fights, but he took the second round and I feel like he took that fight. So Yeah, I, I'm not even too mad at that. Like, it's just either. one of those things. It's like, yeah, well, I guess that happened. And I just kind of, I, I didn't really process it that way, but... <laughs> I don't even know what, I don't think it was even boredom. I guess it was just, uh, that, that was just the thing that took place. All right. So uh, our scoring, uh, 
Mookie and I went four and one. Victor, you went three and two. Um, but you are tied with Mookie for first place, and I am in second. We are all uh, we are divided by just one. So we are going to keep today's show UFC 284 centric. Victor has an amazing story, but we're going to use that last. So I'm going to go ahead and keep going with the first story, which is going to be me. Normally we would have Victor go first, but his story needs to book in this with a feel good vibe because we often give you stuff to ponder by the time we leave this show. Y'all are probably like, God dang, do y'all ever talk about anything sunshine and light? We do today. But first, I got to give you some bad news. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So my bad news is this. Team Volkanovsky, specifically Dan Hooker, has accused Islam Makachev, Team Makachev, of going out to Australia and getting an IV before the fight. Here's, here's the story. On Saturday night, Islam Makachev secured his spot as number one on the UFC's pound-for-pound -pound rankings thanks to a close, though still impressive, decision win over Alexander Volkanovsky. The win also saw him defend his UFC lightweight title for the first time. Someone who was not impressed by Makachev win is Dan the Hangman Hooker, a teammate of Volkanovsky's over at City Kickboxing. Hooker, who currently sits 11th in the lightweight rankings, accused Makachev of using an illegal rehydration method ahead of this weekend's big fight. And I quote from Dan's Twitter, Dumb cunt thinks he can fly to Australia, hire a nurse to give him an IV, and we won't find out. Cheating dog. Hooker would later add another tweet, accusing Makachev of cheating again. If he doesn't cheat, he doesn't win. Now, the U.S. anti-doping agency, USADA, banned the use of IVs by UFC athletes in 2019. Prior to that, it was commonplace practice for fighters to use IV infusions to rehydrate their bodies after cutting weight. The current USADA rule on IVs states this. All IV infusions and or injections of more than 100 milliliters. Now, 100 milliliters is just under seven tablespoons. So that's a small amount. Now, you can only have 100 milliliters per 12-hour period. Anything beyond that is prohibited at all times, both in and out of competition, except for those legitimately received in our out of competition in the course of hospital treatments, surgical procedures, clinical diagnostic investigations, and or those received that are determined to be medically justified and within the standard of care by a licensed physician and administered by a licensed medical professional without an approved TUE, a therapeutic use exemption. USADA claims that the IV rule is designed to protect clean sport and athlete health and safety. So in 2016, USADA announced that Makachev had tested positive for the banned substance meldonium, 
a popular heart medication that increases blood flow. Meldonium was added as a banned substance on January 1st, 2016. In a hearing, USADA cleared Makachev of any wrongdoing and chose not to levy a suspension against him. At that time, Makachev said he took the substance after a heart procedure he had in 2015. Other than that incident, Makachev has not tested positive for any banned substances or procedures during his tenure. It is important to note that no one else has said anything. USADA has not given a comment yet. The UFC has not given a comment yet. Um, so we are here with a big accusation. Now there is a clip that is floating around of Volkanovsky giving an interview where he also mentions IV use. So Victor, what are we thinking of this? I don't like it. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't like, like any of this. <laughs> you, you can't. You gotta have. Oh fuck! You know. Okay. So so so, when you make a claim that is that big, your evidence should also be very very big. And this whole thing about it, like, well, he he, you know, th this is the implication here is that Makachev got uh, an IV done and somehow somehow hangman or somebody close to him got wind of it and now we're here and that is um i don't know i feel like there's some gaps there missing buddy i feel like Let there's some shit here you're not kind of you know you, you're, you're we're leaving some stuff on the table here that i'm not uh you know what, what are we missing i mean you 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 probably have um a bit of an, an ethical and and um intellectual obligation to disclose a little more of what you know you know, I mean, shit, put well, your nuts fighters. on the table, let them hang, say what you got. Yeah, but they're fighters. I don't know if they have an ethical responsibility because they're well, fighters, yeah. but maybe I mean, the UFC might have, might bear some responsibility by maybe investigating this claim. Okay, I, I want to give you a little bit more background and then have you respond again. Okay. Okay, Philip Rowe, UFC fighter Phil Rowe, said he put this in a tweet. He, he said, it is not illegal to get an IV. You simply have to tell the UFC doctors you want one before you get one. You just can't do it on your own accord. So people responded to him, really? What happens if they find out you did it on your own? And then the next person says, the rules literally state that they are prohibited at all times, though. The next person says, someone get this man the rule book before he gets himself suspended. Then Phil Rowe responds again. I'm literally in the UFC. Before my last fight, a UFC doctor literally told me if one is needed, they'll be informed and one can be administered per doctor's orders. But if you know more than me, my apologies. And he has, you know, two emojis of the crying laughing thing. So okay. we have Philip Rowe here who is getting stuff that is, listen, He's getting offers for IVs. He has this information that maybe we are unaware of behind the scenes. Now, this clearly goes against what they have in black and white in the rule book. Another thing we need to consider, maybe Islam did get a, an IV, but maybe it was under the 100 milliliters. Maybe that's what, you know, somebody said, hey, I, I you know, I heard Islam got an IV. 
Maybe it was within the range. All I'm saying is there's a lot of factors here. Victor, now I want you to respond now that you've heard what Phil said. Yeah, I still don't like it. I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. But I, I have to keep in mind, I don't hold a fighter to an ethical decision, but I do hold the UFC to one. I do hold no, USADA to one. When I when I mentioned that, when I refer to the other, it was just like, you know, just in terms of basic responsibility, right? Just like a basic social moral thing. I, obviously, he's not under any contractual commitment to, you know, uh, play ace attorney and present evidence of the con. You know, that that's not, I'm not referring to anything like that, obviously. But it's like you, that, that with, if you, again, if you make a claim that big, you got to stand by it with something strong. And I don't know that he has anything other than what he's just been saying in a few tweets that remain nonspecific. And then he moves on to other things. Now, the Phil Rowe tweets are interesting too, because now I'm curious as to whether or not that may vary by circumstance, right? What were his uh, circumstances for that, under what context was he told uh, that he could just ask for one? You know, was he having difficulty with one? Was this uh, a by the by um, situation where this was, this just came up in conversation and they just touched on it briefly? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not saying he's wrong or that I know more than he does because I don't. Uh, I, I can't certify that, that what happened in that conversation was um, similar to the situation that we're finding ourselves discussing now. Uh, that is another bit of context here that's missing. So I, I need to point this out here before we start falling into these sort of traps of, you know, well, you know, he definitely cheated or he definitely didn't. I, I definitely need more. And I agree with you 100%. We need to see the UFC has got to, some questions need to at least be asked. Although how much faith can you really have in them and their ability to investigate things that are happening under their purview? I don't know. I guess they'll probably just say, yeah, well, we cleared it through USADA. He didn't pop or anything and then just leave it at that. I guess. I mean, that's kind of been, they've been so hands off with so much. It's kind of hard to um, expect that they would have any sort of uh, true effort put into well, anything related to that. I mean, shit, they're not promoting the fights, apparently. So, you know, they, I, I don't expect them to, to go too far in investigating this. I do still think that it was in very poor form for Dan to just put that out there and, and not have any sort of follow through. And I'm really interested to see how they handle this from here on in. What exactly can the UFC do? I mean, let's say that he, uh, that Makachev is in fact in violation of the USADA statutes. Well, what happens? Does he lose the belt? Do they redeclare this a no contest? Like, where do we go from here and how? That's why I feel like the UFC needs to step up and say something. A belt was hanging in the balance here. The lightweight belt was hanging in the balance. Not just the belt, livelihoods, money, yeah, you know, records. Pound status. And I know that doesn't matter to you, no. but the UFC touts pound for pound status their rankings have pound for pound status in their official rankings and like those rankings or not they are the ones that the ufc quote goes by for the most part not all the time because remember the ufc is not a meritocracy so if a fight puts asses in seats more than a fight is meritorious yeah you know which one yeah. they're gonna go with but yeah. the point I'm making is pound for pound is a thing and we must discuss it because the UFC has it as an official thing in their rankings. So yes. that pound for pound status absolutely means something to these fighters. And so by virtue of that, we sort of got to talk about it. I don't mm. feel that 
Islam cemented himself as much as he thinks. I think there's still a lot of doubt in the air about that. Anyways, yeah. you, sir, have a good story for us to wrap the show with. And I'm I'm really happy to hear about this one. I know, I do. This is cool because we don't get to do these very often. I mean, it's not lately, at least. We've had a lot of, uh, as mentioned earlier, right, a lot of really, uh, a lot of stinkers, you know, not a lot of really unpleasant stuff that we've been dealing with in the uh, last few months, especially the last two months. Good God. But here's a good one. You probably saw it during the broadcast. You probably saw it already on social media, but we need to address this because I am so thrilled to inform you or to bring this up yet again, right? Former UFC lightweight champion, Jens Pulver, very first lightweight champion for the organization, is going to be inducted in the UFC's Hall of Fame later this year. They announced it not only during the broadcast, but they actually sprung it on Pulver during a live uh, stream that he was doing. And, you know, it was just a beautiful thing to watch. He immediately broke down in tears. He was so, so thankful. He was so uh, impressed and surprised and taken by the moment that it was truly uh, yet another dad moment, which, as you all may know by now, I am an absolute sucker for every single time. Uh, Jens Pulver is 48 years old. He has not fought for years. He's been retired and had some ups and downs, man. I mean, he was out in the wilderness fighting in these little no-name shows and fighting guys that he shouldn't have been fighting, uh, taking losses that he should not have been taking. And yet, it doesn't overshadow his accomplishments. It does not overshadow what he was able to do during the course of his career and being truly a trailblazer in his own right in a time where the lightweight division, the lower weight classes, weren't really given that kind of attention or spotlight. Um, Dana White had this to say, quote, Jens Pulver is a pioneer of the sport who was not only the first lightweight champion in UFC history, but someone who delivered some of the sport's most memorable moments. Keeping it short and sweet, that was actually pretty nice. He continued with this, though. No one will ever forget his knockout of John Lewis or his win over BJ Penn in their first fight. And his fight against Uriah Faber in 2008 was the biggest fight in WC history at the time. Jens could do it all in the octagon, and it will be an honor to induct him in the UFC Hall of Fame this summer. Now, I know, I know, I know the UFC Hall of Fame isn't even like an actual place. I know that for some people, it doesn't really have that kind of merit. But it is really nice to see guys like this get some sort of praise, right? To see these guys get their flowers while they're still alive, for starters, right? And, and also while we are in an era where the sport has propagated itself and been expanded in a manner in which it's basically ubiquitous, I mean... You can find it almost anywhere, and I, there's just, just so much MMA going on at any given time in any given part of the world. But to remember people like this, to remember people that put everything on the line at a time where there really wasn't all that much to be gained, someone who was had his body ravaged by the sport and ultimately doesn't have that much to show for it in the sense that compared to what he really should have been getting, right? And we say this about every fighter being underpaid, but these were the days where your purse from your purse was overshadowed very easily by sponsorship money. This was a guy who cut his teeth over at the Militich gym and who was fighting these absolute sharks and uh, training with dudes that were, he was outsized, you know, at a two to one level, basically, you know, this dude was, was out there scrambling against dudes twice his size. And it was just, um, it, it, it is truly a massive underdog story. And so while he doesn't get the sort of acclaim that perhaps he ought to have gotten, 
it is nice to see that the younger fans or the people who maybe weren't into the sport back in the early aughts when he was really shining and back in the late aughts when he was still, you know, still something of a threat. We have this here now. And knowing and understanding the troubled youth that he had, the childhood traumas, the history of physical abuse that he endured in his household, being able to overcome all of that and becoming a guy that was able to reach the pinnacle and do so much after so many people doubted him and countered him out. Man, this is just icing on the cake. And not only that, but to be able to do so far removed from his days of fighting and to be able to have this, to have his son nearby and to be so proud to see his son getting that sort of praise now. That's, that's pretty big, man. That's pretty massive. I mean, if you're not a parent out there, I, you know, I can't expect you to really empathize or understand. It's fine. That's not really a big deal. But if you know, you know, when you get that dad shit going, man, it's, it's, it hits you right in the feels. And uh, I was very happy to see this. While I do think that the Hall of Fame thing doesn't carry as much weight or as much merit, I was thrilled to see this because here's a dude that really uh, worked super hard and really should have gotten so much more. But this is still rather nice. And also, it's nice that he's still under the UFC umbrella in some capacity with his streaming. So great for him. And I'm super happy to see this happen. Same, same. Excellent tribute to him. I love this, but there is a distinction we must note. He wasn't just the first lightweight champion. He was actually the Zufa's first champion, period. So I, I want to put that distinction out there because I hate that Dana keeps saying that he was the first lightweight champion. He was literally the first Zufa champion. Also, you mentioned how Jens was frequently the smaller guy. I mean, one just need to look at his fight with BJ Penn. BJ Penn was enormous. Jens was so small. And he beat BJ Penn. He beat that guy, you know? Um, he beat Dennis Hallman. Dennis Hallman is no slouch. Yeah, grappling uh, uh, wizard. Dennis and the dude who was pretty was big, a grappling too. grappling goddamn god. You know, I mean, that's, and he beat Dennis Hallman when Dennis Hallman was thriving, when he was in his absolute prime. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at all this and I just, I've been friends with, B, uh, with, um, with Jens for a very long time. I've been interviewing him since 2005. He's the nicest guy. His wife is awesome. His kids are awesome. I loved seeing the moment where he immediately, the tears just spring up as soon as he realizes what's going on during the broadcast. And then he immediately, please get over here. And he calls to his son. And man, that moment broke my heart, broke my heart. But I loved it. I think it's the best feel-good moment we have had all year. Man, I like it so much. Victor, yeah. this was the perfect way. You were right. This was the perfect way to um, to end this particular um, this particular show. I loved it. It's perfect. There you go. All right. So on that note, we are going to wrap up. Do me a favor. Follow this guy. On Twitter, he is at Vic M. Rodriguez. Check him out on Instagram. Wonderful feed over there. Lots of food and travel photos. Check him out there. That's Victor Sinister Rodriguez. Victor, did you set up your OnlyFans? Why, I did. And I am there at you. Tiger Driver 91. Ah, ah, I see Tiger what I did Driver there. Tiger Driver 91. That's right. Distinction, baby. You know what it is. 
right, uh, so you can Sayama-san, find- doing them proud. So, yes, uh, I am actually set up there. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be slowly adding stuff as we go along. Awesome. I assume some training stuff? BJJ Maybe. stuff? All right. Okay. So you can do that. You can follow Mookie over on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. And he is available at SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, go visit him there. You can follow me on Twitter at Crooklyn MMA. The show at Level Change Pod. The show is on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. If you would like to sponsor the show or know someone that wants to sponsor the show or contribute in any capacity, please email me, crooklyn949 at gmail.com. That's going to wrap the show, basically. So uh, until next time, you know the drill. Please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Level Change Podcast, The MMA Vivis Section, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.